Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. I am so excited to be here tonight. I came to church to worship God with you and to encourage you from His Word. And whilst I can't know specifically why you might have come to church tonight, I can venture a few guesses, right? Maybe you are here tonight because you are open to spirituality or curious about religion. You're wondering what it holds, what it has to offer. Maybe you are here because you have questions about Christianity, right? You want to check out how viable it is, how legitimate it is. Maybe you are here because you are just desperate for something outside of yourself. You just need something. Many of us here are here because we didn't think twice about it, because we call ourselves Christians and that's what we do. We come to church, we worship God, we bring other people along. But that word, that word Christian, it is very loaded, isn't it? It's so loaded. There are so many connotations to that word, especially in 2021. So the passage of scripture that we are going to look at tonight, it sheds some light on what it actually means in the kingdom of God to be spiritual, religious, to be a Christian. This scripture sheds some light on what those of us who call ourselves Christians are actually spending our lives pursuing. And can I just say off the bat, maybe I didn't mention the specific reason that you walked in the doors tonight because I don't know. Um, maybe you haven't even thought about why you're here tonight. And that is so fine because the vastly more important factor is the fact that God knows that you are here in this room right now. And he, he has the uncanny ability to take whatever I might say and translate it directly into your situation, your frame of mind, wherever you're at, and speak to you, speak to your heart, your mind, right in the very chair that you have decided to sit in this evening if you would just be open to that. So can I invite you, why don't you be open? And I'm believing that we're all going to leave with a little bit more clarity on this life that is available to us in God than we had when we walked in the doors. Is that cool? Are you ready? Great. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are here. Would you speak to us tonight? Would you meet us however we've come in and wherever we're at? And God, we just pray for anyone who is far from you or who is confused about where they sit with you. Would you meet them, God? Might they experience you? Might they recognize you and come to know you tonight for your glory? Amen. Amen. All right, let's jump into it. So the Apostle Paul Right? He was probably the most influential follower of Jesus, the most influential Christian in all of history. And so we're going to have a look at what he has to say about his Christian life. Philippians 3 verses 7 to 14. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. And the things that he's referring to here are all of his accomplishments, his achievements, everything that gives him credibility as a man and especially as a religious man. That's what he's talking about. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. 
I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to, to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Come on, how good is that passage of scripture? So good. But Paul, Paul is making some pretty strong statements about his Christian life, so we are going to unpack them a little together tonight. Uh, but when I was in high school, my school ran this extracurricular camp, which was a, a hike where you, you hiked a portion of the Bibbulmun track and you camped along the way. Some of the global youth have heard this story before. That's why they're laughing already. Now, ordinarily, this kind, this kind of extracurricular curricular activity was not the kind of thing that I would have considered even for a millisecond for many reasons. Uh, firstly, I did not consider myself to be outdoorsy or sporty. Second of all, I'd never been hiking before. Third of all, I had never been proper camping where you don't have showers and you go to the bathroom in a drop toilet before. And fourthly, to be honest, this was a season in my life where I wasn't particularly interested in working on my fitness or my endurance, but I really enjoyed snacks. And so, so wisdom would have suggested that this was not the camp for me to go on, but I liked a boy at the time, and this boy said that he was going to sign up for the trip, and then some of my friends, they encouraged me, you'll be fine, it'll be easy, they always say it's harder than it's going to be, it's going to be fine, and so I signed up, I signed up, and then this boy decided not to sign up, <laughs> and he neglected to mention that to me until it was too late for me to back out, as did many of the friends who peer pressured me, so I was completely stitched up, it was a situation, but anyway... There I was, I was, I was going on this hike. And so in the lead up to the hike, the school prepared us a lot. They had um, a, a bunch of training meetings. They gave us lots of instructions about buying the right gear, purchasing the correct things. And I missed most of those meetings and I disregarded most of that information because I was really in denial about having to actually do the hike. I was kind of taking an out of earshot, out of mind approach to that. And so when I did rock up, I was wildly underprepared on most fronts, but the thing that I regret the very most was my choice of footwear. They had told us to get like good proper hiking boots or at the very least um, high quality running shoes. And to this day, I cannot recall why I thought that a cheap pair of sneakers from Big W that looked like the real thing, but most certainly were not, were gonna do the trick. I'm sure you can imagine it didn't take very long for things to go downhill very fast. We were hiking, I think it was something like 30 k's each day, but I was done after 300 meters because my feet were already sore. They were already sore. And so I was lagging so far behind the rest of the group that I couldn't even see them. I was genuinely concerned I was not going to make it. I am crying like tears down my face. I'm so, so embarrassed. And then we stopped for a break um, and my friend was heating up hot water to make tea for everyone, and she managed to spill it on my foot. Of course, the cheap sneakers just let the boiling water right through, and they gave me what my teacher deemed a second-degree burn. 
And by a couple of days, my feet were so mashed up and, my, and the shoes were so mashed up that blisters started forming underneath my toenails. And then eventually, some of them came off. I literally had blisters instead of toenails. I'm sorry, I know that's really disgusting. <clears throat> I know it's gross, I'm sorry. But that was, that was where I found myself. Anyway, despite my fears at the time, I have lived to tell the tale. So what went wrong in that situation? It's pretty obvious. I wore really, really cheap sneakers instead of good quality running shoes on a three-day hike in the bush, right? Why do I tell you this? Because my shoes looked like they were quality running shoes, right? Same style, same appearance. Nobody around me was questioning whether they were real or not until I started limping. But in fact, they were not quality running shoes. They were a cheap alternative. And so when I needed them to protect my feet, not only did they fail me, but they were actually destructive to both my toenails and my hiking experience, right? And church, similarly, similarly, there is a version of spirituality, of religion, of Christianity that looks like the real thing. It appears similar to the real thing. Other people might not question whether or not it is the real thing, but in fact, it is not real. And not only will it fail us, but it is destructive to us and our Christian experience if we pursue it. Paul talks about it in our scripture, the things that he once thought were valuable but now considers worthless in verse 7. The counting of his own righteousness through obeying the law in verse 9. What is he saying? He is referring to a version of Christianity that is essentially doing a list of behaviors. Doing a list of behaviors. And this is the version of Christianity that many of us hold, be that consciously or subconsciously, right? What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, those people go to certain places, right? And they avoid other places. They speak in a certain way. They avoid the use of certain words. There are specific activities that they adamantly will not do. And then there's other activities that maybe they do every week. They care about specific social issues, right? They do a list of behaviors. And there are a number of problems with this version of Christianity, which, if I haven't implied clearly enough, is not the real thing. When we make Christianity the doing a list of behaviors, not only is it not the real thing, but it is destructive to true faith. And that's because it can go one of two different ways. The first way is that you will never ever engage with it because you don't have the ability to or the desire to do the behaviors on the list, right? And that could be someone here tonight. To you, Christianity is doing a list of behaviors and you are just not here for that. Because it's a turn-off, right? A list of rules to follow, things you can't do, things you can do, places you can be, places you can't be. That sounds so suffocating and it feels so restrictive, right? It's so unappealing. And can I encourage you tonight, if that is your perception on what Christianity is and if it makes you want to reject it, let me let you know the most influential Christian of all time, he rejects that version of Christianity too. In the scripture, he says, I no longer count my own righteousness by obeying the law, by doing a list of behaviors. And this is coming from someone who tried it and actually did it as well. The, all of the behaviors in the Old Testament that we read and they seem so impossible to uphold. Paul upheld. And oftentimes, you know, people who talk about doing a list of behaviors, they can't live up to their own standards, right? And they're just hypocrites. But Paul could live up to the standard and he did. And he still says, no, that's not true Christianity. Even if you are capable of and willing to do all the behaviors on the list, it is that life is not the real thing, right? So maybe you get turned off completely. 
The other thing that can happen when we make Christianity doing a list of behaviors is that you spend your life doing the behaviors and miss the point entirely. And this could also be someone tonight, probably someone different. But when we've been around for church, uh, been around church for a little while, making Christianity doing a list of behaviors can actually be a little bit appealing temporarily because it means that we can tick activities off of our list and tell ourselves that we're doing it right when we're really not. And I have done this, and I see it as well. Yes, I rock up to my serving roster, tick. Um, I give into the offering, tick. I raise my hands in worship, tick. Maybe I'll call Pastor Jordan before I make a big life decision, tick. All of my closest friends are involved in the life of the church, tick. I consider church my home, tick. And then I can say, look, I'm a Christian, look at my life. It's full of activities and relationships, right? And so perhaps we are keeping up appearances Our Christian life looks like the real thing. Maybe nobody's asking us about whether or not it's the real thing, but it's actually destructive to our faith. So if real Christianity is decidedly not doing a list of behaviors, what is it? That's the important thing, the important part. So let's go back to our scripture, verses 8 to 12. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. What is Paul telling us? He is saying that real spirituality, real religion, real Christianity is a life lived in pursuit of intimacy with Jesus. Pursuing closeness with Jesus. The focus of the Christian life is not doing a list of behaviors. It is experiencing a living relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. This is the thing that we live to pursue. And the best part about that is that before we even get around to considering pursuing Jesus, he already pursued us. And he never stopped pursuing us. In fact, he's pursuing us right now. If you are here tonight because a friend brought you, or maybe you came through a program, or you're here through some weird coincidence, that is Jesus pursuing you. And if you are here tonight and you feel a bit stale in your faith, or a bit indifferent, or you're just not feeling it at the moment, but you're here and you're taking this in, that is Jesus pursuing you. And he is not affected by how many behaviors on the list you are doing or not doing. He is in the habit of meeting us exactly where we are at. He's in the habit of meeting us exactly where we're at, and he wants to be close to you and to me tonight. Real Christianity is a life lived in pursuit of intimacy with Jesus. So let's ask and answer three questions tonight that are going to help us experience that. Number one, what is intimacy with Jesus? Number two, how do we get it? And number three, what does it look like in our lives? What is intimacy with Jesus? A living relationship with him, growing in knowing him, experiencing the deep love that he has for you and his deep care for you. In verse 8, I've read this one a few times, but we'll read it again. In verse 8, yes, everything else is worthless when, comparing, when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. 
Strong statement. Paul is saying that intimacy with Jesus, closeness with Jesus is so valuable that in comparison, everything else he's achieved in his life is garbage, right? And the word that he uses there actually means excrement, right? So he's, he's talking about his glowing list. It was a very glowing list of achievements and accomplishments, everything that gave him worth and significance and credibility in his social and religious context. And he's calling them equal to the contents of our unflushed toilet, in comparison to his closeness with Jesus, right? They're worth discarding in order to know Jesus better. And it's important that we note that he's not even saying that those things are garbage in and of themselves. They're good things, potentially great things, but it's in comparison with a living relationship with Jesus that he considers them garbage. That is such a massive call to make. What about in your life and my life? What do we rely on to feel good? to be validated, to feel special and important and significant. You know, maybe it is success, social status, our grades, material things. Closeness with Jesus causes all of those perfectly good things to gradually diminish in their worth to us until they are nothing in comparison to our relationship with him. There is nothing wrong with them. He is so happy for us to enjoy them. He will absolutely bless us with them. But when we hold them up and compare them to the reality of knowing Jesus, they're nothing to us. That is real Christianity. Tana, if you could come help me with the table, that would be awesome. So that, that, yeah, question two, how do we get it then? How do we get intimacy with Jesus? Verse nine, I no longer count on my own righteousness by obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Access to intimacy with Jesus is not something that we can just conjure up for ourselves, right? That takes us right back to the doing a list of behaviors way of doing things. We can't do that. Relationship with him is a gift to us accessed by faith. It has nothing to do with what we might have done or might do today or might do tomorrow to earn it. And it has everything to do with what Jesus has already done for us. Our only part is accepting the gift through faith. Accepting that by nature of being human, we are sinful, we are broken, we're, we're far from God and in need of Him, but that out of His deep, deep love for us, Jesus came to the earth, God in flesh, He lived a perfect, sinless life, He died the death that we deserve on the cross, He was buried with our sin and then rose again so that we could be free from that sin, that we could live in this life in relationship with God and then live with Him in the next life in a, in a secure eternity. Right? It takes faith to accept that. It takes trust, but that's all that we have to do. And then intimacy with Jesus is available to us and it becomes the pursuit of our whole lives. Um, Sams, do you want to come help me? The band can probably come join us too if they would like to. So what does it look like? What does a life in pursuit of intimacy with Jesus look like? What is the process of getting from wherever I am right now to Paul's level of everything I bring to the table is toilet flushable in order to, in comparison with my, to my relationship with Jesus, right? How do we get there? Well, imagine, if you will, that this is your relationship with Jesus, and that jar is your relationship with Jesus, and over here, the pebbles and the rocks and the grains of sand are 
the choices that make up that relationship with Jesus, right? And so over here, we have the big rocks. These are the really big picture choices of life, right? The things that we tend to believe are a reflection of our relationship with Jesus, our closeness to Him. What am I here for? (laughs) What's my calling, my purpose? If I get that right, then I'm definitely tight with Jesus, right? That would make sense. Or maybe, who should I marry? I definitely want Him to weigh in on that one. It's a big one. Maybe, where should I live? Where should I build my life? Or what career should I pursue? How many kids should we have? Should I buy that house? And with these, the really big choices of our lives that that absolutely shape our lives, we're often inclined to want the Jesus perspective, right? They're big, they're important. You might pray about that stuff even if you don't consider yourself a Christian because we want to get it right, right? And we tend to think, if I get this stuff right, then that means I'm doing Christianity right. But there's still space left in our jar. And so then we come to the pebbles here, the less monumental but still significant choices in our life. We're often a little bit less inclined to consider if these choices are demonstrating a closeness to Jesus. Maybe the social circles I choose to move in, how I work out my budget, how I treat the person I'm dating, which degree or course I pick to study, how consistently I follow through on the commitments I make, how healthy my lifestyle is. And with these pebble choices, they are more subtle than the rock choices, but they do shape our lives. And oftentimes, we can very easily forget to seek Jesus and get His perspective. And it's funny because I thought that the big rocks were the most important determiner in my relationship with Jesus. But when I look at this, the pebbles are taking up more space, right? In any case, there we go. We've, we've filled up our jar. This is my relationship with Jesus, comprised of my choices. And perhaps the smaller choices are a little bit more significant than I thought. Except I've forgotten to factor in, as we so often do, the teeny tiny grains of sand, the seemingly inconsequential cho- consequential choices of each and every day um, that we feel like will never amount to much. Do you want to wait, please? <laughs> The tiny little choices that we feel like are never, ever going to amount to much, right? Because there wasn't even any space left in the jar for them, right? They're almost too trivial to have any kind of impact on our relationship with Jesus. What do they even matter, right? So what do I do with my recurring anxious thought? What do I allow myself to daydream about? How do I choose to entertain myself? What do I turn to in order to relieve my stress? How do I speak to my family after a really long day? What level of patience do I have for that frustrating person or how do I choose to numb my pain? And just like that, the teeny, tiny, inconsequential choices of life that we don't think even matter about bringing Jesus into make up. They make up the most weighty part of our relationship with Him. We think that our big choices are the most telling of our intimacy with Jesus, but it is the small ones, the day in, day out, hour in, hour out choices that actually determine that relationship with Him. Thanks, Sams. Thanks, heaps. So what does that mean? Does that mean that a relationship with God then becomes about striving to have perfect sand, like making the right choice every single time we make a tiny little choice? No, 
because then we'd just be right back to our doing a list of behaviours again, right? Verse 12 of our scripture, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Intimacy with Jesus does not mean having perfect sand. It means inviting Him into our sand, letting Him be Lord of our sand, allowing Him through His own power to mould and shape us into who He's calling us to be. And as he's doing that, then maybe, perhaps, some of those behaviours on the list will be produced through our lives naturally out of that closeness of relationship with him, right? This is why Paul says he's able to count everything else as lost in comparison to knowing Christ. Because knowing him, intimacy with Jesus, it permeates every single layer of our lives. How is it that some people can find peace and rest and purpose when their pebbles and their rocks are in turmoil? It's because Jesus is in their sand and their sand infiltrates every single part of their life. Church, when we are living in pursuit of intimacy with Jesus, real, true Christianity, true religion, then God gets the glory always. Because on our best days and in our happiest moments, He gets the glory for um, blessing us and, and everything that's great. And then on our worst days and in our most painful moments, He gets the glory as our strength and our comfort and our hope. And on each and every single day, He gets the glory as our Lord and Saviour, working in us, transforming our lives from the inside out, sand to pebbles, to rocks, all for His glory, right? That's who He is. That's what He does. There is no doing a list of behaviours that can accomplish that. No list of behaviours can accomplish that. Only the person of Jesus can. Real Christianity is not doing a list of behaviours. It is a life lived in pursuit of intimacy with the person of Jesus. We start small, day in, day out, minute choices, hourly choices. We invite Him in. He comes in. He infiltrates our lives. He makes us who we're meant to be and gets us where we're going. Sands to pebbles to rocks. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us and special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member, and let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.